George Lucas would totally do that. He would do that, but I'm and not he'd cast Jake it. Lloyd <laughs> as but Emperor. The th- but the problem with that is that, like, if you oh, dude, I just clicked what you said. Oh, that is so wrong. <laughs> oh man, dodge this. I am the Father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 128 of the Movie Bite Podcast. It is a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and ever so much more. Our voices, which are now coming to you and being converted to digital bits so that we can stream this episode to you, are coming to you on this fine Tuesday, March the 10th, 2015. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today is the con man himself, Watch him, he'll get your wallet, and certainly your watch, particularly if it's of the Apple variety. It is Joe Darnell. It's just because I can divert your focus of attention oh, so well, TJ. Your Whoa, focus. what did I just look yes. from your desk? Whoa, there goes your microphone. Whoa, this <laughs> podcast is over. Wait, how can you hear me? I, I, where's my microphone? You probably can't even hear me. <clears throat> That's right. How, how have you been, Joe? I'm um, pretty good. Pretty good. How about yourself? I heard, I, I've heard you've been recording podcasts and such without me. Again, <laughs> I uh, imagine the betrayal. I'm so sorry, TJ. I'm seeing another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, this afternoon I was on a show with uh, another friend of the show, Micah Polk. He is starting a technology podcast, and we had fun talking about Apple's uh, tech event yesterday. And I believe he plans to get it up uh, today, the same day as this episode goes up. Oh, good. Which is tomorrow. So, yeah. Today, it's tomorrow. Gonna uh, it's going to be a, a triple hitter. We're going to have the Movie Byte podcast. The Micah Pogues podcast and Top Brew podcast. So it's going to be a a trilogy of Joe awesomeness in podcasts all in one day. Goodness, I don't know if I can handle that much awesome, Joe. Just wait for the extended edition. You know, the Apple event this past week, in fact, I kind of forgot it was going on. I've been, I've, I've got a really stressful time at work right now. And, um, I, you it's, forgot, it's, what? yeah, it's the first time in a very long time that I have not followed carefully an Apple event. Oh, and oh, uh, I'm I was I was fairly impressed with the MacBook they released. Although I'm not sure how I feel about the oh, man, this is not a tech show. I'm not sure how I feel about the lack of ports. But well, we can tie it back in <laughs> by saying you know I don't think you want to watch any movies on the thing, but it looks gorgeous. Yeah, uh, yeah, it does for sure. It does, yeah, and uh, yeah, the watch continues to unimpress me. But I joked that on my watch, I'd be watching the new season premiere of Game of Thrones through you are HBO. An evil, service. evil man. For and even think, I don't care if it was a joke. For even suggesting that we should be watching on our handy dandy Apple watches, which I won't, I'm not planning on getting, but just on these little bitty screens that we would watch it. I mean, what a disgrace! What a disgrace, and, Joe. You know, back in the day, I actually watched like all of season two and three and part of four of Lost on my original iPod video. What? Yeah, I did Uh, because I was away from home and I had my computer and my iPod and not much else for a jobby job down in uh, Florida. I was uh, helping a friend uh, renovate a house he was trying to flip Mm. and it worked out. But anyway, while I was there, I watched a heck of a lot of Lost. 
And uh, yeah, that was like the best TV I had was my pocket-sized iPod Classic. I'm not a huge fan of Lost, but I can't imagine watching even that on that little bitty screen and not being able to see what was going on. It was actually quite the experience. Mm. (laughs) Not one I would want to relive, but it was definitely worth the experience for experience sake. I suppose. Is that so, why we watch movies to have vicarious experiences? I mean, sure, sure. I, you know, I occasionally watch a video or a YouTube video or a trailer or something uh, laying in bed on my iPhone, and I've tried, you know, like rolling over on my side, on my propping myself up on my elbows. I tried laying it on my back and holding it, and like it's just everything about it is just wrong. It makes me tired, and it makes my arms tired, or it <laughs> makes my it makes my elbows lock up, or my arms feel numb for lack of blood flow, and just I can't find a comfortable position. I'd rather just sit on my couch and watch it on the on the TV. That's the best way to watch television. Though. Yeah, you're all numb inside; you can't feel a thing. That's great. So, so do you think the Apple Watch really will have video capabilities like streaming from the iPhone or the iPad or something like that, or even you know, over the internet? If they push that, and it's like, oh yeah, and you got the iTunes app, and you can download a movie, and do 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 do, and you get the streaming, and then I'd be like, okay, um, I'm dropping all of my Apple gear. Apple is doomed. I'm moving on. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that because I wouldn't be surprised if it comes up. I can picture owning, operating music, uh, podcasts, uh, audiobooks, but the idea of a show, like I actually found a way, um, I think in one of the apps that Apple makes where they're going to be selling the watches, you're able to call up on the screen a true-to-life actual size rep- representation of one of the watches to kind of see what mm. the actual size will be. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I beheld the thing and I was like, whoa, that's a little bit smaller than I was even anticipating. So the watch, you know, your mind's eye may picture, oh, yeah, this thing is going to fill up my wrist. And really it's not quite like that because it's pretty thick, yeah. But uh, given the orientation of the height and the width on your wrist, it's not going to seem as large as we think. Yeah, well, the next time I see you will probably be – you will probably have an Apple Watch and I am going to call you a dork. I'm just going to do it. Oh, dear. My wife already said worse things about the Apple Watch. So you're, that, that will still be a, a light, a light uh, discredit to my okay. beautiful watch. If you, if, you're, if you go breaking my watch hard, I'm never going to speak to you again because you, you just don't offend, the, don't offend the watch, TJ. Okay. Well, speaking of futuristic devices and futuristic things, there is a futuristic movie coming up, Joe, that you, I think, even more than me, will be really into. Like, I don't, I don't dislike this news, and I was really into the previous film in this in this uh, series. But I think you really enjoyed the previous film in this series, and so why don't you why don't you tell us about this news, Joe? Yes, Tron Three is gearing up to shoot this fall in Vancouver, which makes complete sense because it all happens on the grid, and where else can you go to find live action shots on the grid but Vancouver? That's fantastic. Uh huh. Okay. So word has it that Garrett Headland is going to return as Sam Witwicky. I mean, uh, Sam Flynn, <laughs> and that's awesome because he really nailed the role, even though it was underappreciated and, and underplayed. I thought he made an excellent son to Jeff Bridges. Uh, character Kevin Flynn, who came from the original Tron uh, Tron 80s movie. And in Tron Legacy, they really nailed the part. I just think it was underappreciated as an, a film as a whole because it had way too much nuance for a sci-fi action film and not enough uh, whiz-bangery to really sell the uh, the epic uh, grand scale of things that Kevin Flynn had made in his computer world. 
But what we have here is a uh, Tron three. And I think they're going to make up for some of their sins. And I think that the audience is going to be happier with this film because it, uh, Tron films just get better and better. TJ. Obviously. Well, certainly the first two, you know, people talk about the old Tron as a classic or whatever, but yes. I way enjoyed Tron legacy so much. I barely enjoyed the original Tron. Let's put See, it Tron 1.0 had some bugs in it. Tron <laughs> 2.0 was interesting, but they took any, too many features out. Mm, if you say Tron so. three, they're putting the features back in. So, you know, so a couple of questions for you, Mr. Uh, Tron Geek. Uh, do you believe uh, – th- th- by the way, this could be somewhat spoilery for the previous film. So if you haven't seen the previous film, uh-huh. shame on you, and you might want to come shame. back in 30, 30, 30 to 60 seconds. Okay, so um, do you think that Kevin Flynn is dead, or do you think we'll see him again? And or do you think we'll see Clue? Mm, Clue is pretty dead. <coughs> Excuse me. Kevin F- Bridges? <laughs> no. Kevin Bridges? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kevin – Flynn played is by Jeff very much Bridges. alive on a computer chip that looks like a dog tag that's dangling around his son's neck. Okay. But he's only a digital copy of the original. So we kind of got this little um, the prestige action happening but in a computer world thing going on. So you could make many copies of dad and you know you could just you know have the one you go visit on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know it's pretty awesome. Uh, the one that comes with a red band and the one that comes <laughs> with the Melanie's loop, it's pretty awesome. Do you think let me rephrase the question a little bit. Do you think we will see Jeff Bridges in Tron 3? <laughs> Sorry. Yes, I I actually have a really good feeling about that even if he plays a very minor role because he is very much alive and that was sort of the entire point of Sam was that he wanted to be with his father, get sure. his father back. And he got to be with his father long enough to just get a taste of that former glory, and then he lost him again. It's sort of like Jack Sparrow, completely different character. But Jack may stand on Black Pearl, but until the Black Pearl is his again, this movie series isn't over. Mm. So Jack has to be reunited with the Black Pearl before you can call it quits. So did you really just tie in a uh, somewhat sort of historically based, more historically set movie uh, featuring pirates with a more futuristic sort of movie with computers featuring uh, digital people? Did you really just make I, that connection? I, I don't know how to say this, TJ, but I believe that, that, that the virtual world stands a greater chance of rea- of becoming reality than mermaids and uh, the walking <laughs> dead and cursed I w- coins. I would agree I mean, with don't that. Don't be ridiculous. I would agree with that. They, okay. didn't have, they didn't even have a talking parrot in that series. I mean, it's ridiculous one, what do they call themselves pirates for. One other question that's weighing heavily on my mind here, and, and I'm asking you because I feel like you will have a better bead on this than I do. Even I though, watch – I love Joseph Kaczynski's films. Yes, um, I do too. But, but here's Oblivion here. was fantastic. Not as well as Tron Legacy, but it was still solid. Yeah. Um, so here's my question. Uh, the, the big – one of the – like the primary storyline of Tron Legacy featured Korra played by Olivia Wilde. The only name being thrown around in this in this oh, uh, yeah, link, you got a great point there. The only name being thrown around in this link uh, that that I linked in the show notes, which you will find at moviebyte.com slash mb podcast slash one twenty eight. Um, the only name being thrown around, of course, is Garrett Hedgeland um, as uh, Sam Flynn. So, so there's obviously going to be other actors, but do, you you would think that maybe Olivia Wilde's name would be being thrown around as well. Uh, you know, I, I have a feeling that they're just trying to be really hush hush about it. I don't know why. Yeah, maybe they don't want to get people's hopes up too early. Maybe they're not quite sure about a deal they're having with Jeff Bridges or with Olivia Wilde. Mm. Maybe something was iffy, like last minute they had a bat with contracts with the director, and they weren't quite sure it was all going to come together. But in typical, you know, movie studio nonsense. Because Joseph is a perfect fit for this series. Like if you don't have him as the director of the follow-up, 
you lack the Tron legacy of things. And th- th- that would be a huge mistake. I, I, I don't know why they even let Joseph become the director in the first place because his kind of direction, leadership, storytelling, the craft, how he tells story, mm-hmm. I think doesn't quite just work for mass audience appeal. And so it, it was sort of bodacious that Disney even gave him the director's chair in the first place. Mm-hmm. But the guy has r- awesome talent. Like I, I think that in the long term, he is going to be held in very high regard because he's more novel in his approach to so many other straight-up popcorn film makers. You know, so I mean, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, uh, t- you know, like if I had, if someone said, "Hey, you want to see the new Spielberg movie or the new Joseph Kaczynski film?" I'd be kind of like, "Oh man, you're kind of like tearing me apart." Goodness, but I'd end up watching Spielberg over Kaczynski. But he's still good. So back to my question <laughs> that you didn't answer. Dang um, it. Uh, Cora. I mean, she obviously was a huge factor in Tron Legacy, and like the story is hanging. So certainly, I feel like we're gonna have to see Olivia Wilde as Cora again, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like, if you don't bring her back, it's such a a sorry conclusion. It's a huge how disappointment. They ended the previous film, like, yeah, it's, 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 it's jaw droppingly horrible. What what did they call the the type of of computer program that she was? Um, uh, they had a name for them. Um, something independence, but that's not it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm a bad fan. Wh- whatever the name of that thing was, like she was the last one, and now she's in the real world. Like they got her into the real world. I want to know what happens. I want to know where that's going. You know, well, I want to know more about her story. Well, yes, all the rare birds are very special in on the grid. She's and a special so, snowflake. Yeah, so they have to bring her back. Uh, Olivia Wilde is probably the rarest snowflake of them all. So <laughs> I, I definitely hope that they have her in this film. Have, have and, you, have, I mean, like, if you don't if you don't have her back, then what are you going to do? Have a digital double of um, Olivia Wilde? And then, uh, no, 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 <clears throat> no. That wouldn't work. Have you ever thought about that phrase, special snowflake? Like, like, what are you, what are you saying that (laughs) your differences are so minor? They have to be compared with a microscope. (laughs) We're saying not just the average snowflake. We're saying (laughs) this one is like the snowflake to end all snowflakes. Okay. I think we should move on. We've talked enough about Tron as excited as we are about it. Um, there's just a certain appeal. Like I, uh, yeah, I, I certainly like, I have the soundtrack that I listen to, you know, Often, like sometimes, it'll, I'll just re- listen to it a couple days in a row as I'm working. You know, it just comes up. Like I haven't, should. I haven't listened I to it in a couple weeks, but but it's there, and it's always it's like one of my go tos. So I'm really excited about that too. Like if we get another score like that, that'll make me super excited. As long as it's not something like Batman versus Clue, Steel, Part Twelve, <laughs> what are Justice, you even some about? DC nonsense <laughs> garbage. I'll be okay. <laughs> we really as long as this movie on. doesn't have Ben Affleck in it, I'm watching this film. Okay, we should move on. Uh, so the rest of the um, items of interest are all trailers. So this is I didn't realize it as, until as I added the last one. I'm like, this is trailer bite. So here yes. we go. Here's trailer bite. In a world, in a world, 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 world. in a world. <laughs> First up, we have Marvel's new full trailer. It's a two-minute and 18-second trailer for Daredevil. Let's take a listen. When I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen. But I realized the city was a part of me. It was in my blood. 
and I would do anything to make it a better place. So this is a Netflix original series, um, and it's obviously in collaboration with Marvel. Daredevil is a Marvel property. Um, I, I, I'm not like I don't quite know what Marvel's going here for here. This is not ki- quite within the Marvel mold, Joe. This is um, this is a very kind of anti-Marvel mold, and that could either huh. be good or bad. Like this is very dark and gritty, even with a little uh-huh. bit of Marvel humor mixed in, but mostly dark and gritty. And it feels, I still say, I, I know I said this last time we talked about that teaser trailer, but it still feels to me like it is a an, an Arrow wanted, wannabe, which is a DC property, and, and it's on TV right now, and it's actually in many, in some ways, good, in some ways, it's frustrating, but um. And and it, it, this feels very like like he's got a city and, and the city is his and he wants to protect it and it's my city and that feels very much like <laughs> Oliver Queen from from Arrow. So I, I I don't know whether that's just a coincidence or whether Marvel's like oh we need to get in on this TV action and and for whatever reason and again I don't understand the reasons because I love Agents of Shield but people have not been too fond of Agents of Shield and so maybe they're saying well let's do what DC's doing they're having good success I, I don't know what do you what do you think. I think that they want to one up DC in every way imaginable. Of course, they, want to they prove do. That they're the better thing. You know, they, they've always acted like the younger uh, sibling that's got to prove itself and, uh-huh. and overcome the number one, the firstborn. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing because it sometimes brings the best out of Marvel and even the best out of DC, but not as not lately. And then you have no, uh, no, something like not. this. That yeah, and you have something like this where they're kind of copying, but they're also one-upping, and that's not a bad thing because I think the entertainment is going to be stellar. Um, everything that I saw in this trailer is something that appeals to me, except for the blood that is a little bit too much Dexter for my taste. Mm. But, but yeah, it's 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 uh, it's pretty sweet. Like we're getting um, uh, the superhero in, like I say, the uh, what is his name, the um, the senator, no, the vice president Underwood world. Frank Underwood. Uh, yeah, Frank Underwood world. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he. It, it's intriguing, right? Because they're trying to cover uh, an entire city, uh, make it look cinematic and less TV showish. So this isn't your your uh, undercover detective uh, stuff of a TV show like Castle. You know, you're going full on dark, mysterious superhero. That's uh, from the Christopher Nolan world in an alternate reality where he is making stuff for Marvel. And that's a good thing. I like it. How do you like it? Uh, I'm not so keen on it, honestly. Um, I, I, I wish it were something different. I, I, I because I what have you, both. But what do you know of the Dar- the Daredevil series? See, and I don't. And that's why I wonder, is it a coincidence that it's so much like Arrow? I, I don't know. Um. Interesting. I, I, feel, I feel like maybe my dislike of it is that I feel like it is too much like Arrow, and I'm enjoying Arrow on the one hand, and I'm frustrated by it on the other, and I want it to be its own thing, and I don't want Marvel to try to copycat it, and if that's what's mm-hmm. going on, that's frustrating. But but again, I, we really need somebody on the show. Uh, maybe you're the person, but you, you're asking me, so mm-hmm. I assume you don't know either. But I, I mean, we would really need somebody on the show that would know more about the original Marvel comics. I know nothing, literally nothing, about Daredevil. Um, oh, so. okay. I saw like two pretty short cartoons of his ages ago, and I had two or three of his action figures. And then I was intrigued by the idea, and I read about his character on Wikipedia mm. or something like that ages ago. And yeah, it's pretty entertaining. It's a good premise. It's a bit far fetched, no more far fetched though than like a being a big green man or um, a jolly <laughs> green giant. Hulk and, smash. Yeah, so I, I, I'm pretty down with it. Uh, if he's a lawyer, so I, I, I want to see some courtroom drama. 
And I hope that that gets pretty cool. Mm. But I don't think that they're going to give it the kind of attention it deserves. It's one of those uh, catch-22s, right? Like we see a lot of Man of Steel. We'll virtually see none of uh, Clark Kent. We see a lot of Iron Man and Tony Stark. How did that happen? You know, and it, it annoys me when uh, the storytellers think, well, really what we're here for is for the action and the superheroics. We're not into the secret identity stuff yeah. and their, their, their normal life. I was like, well, well, then how does he possibly function as a normal human being in society on any wavelength if he is somehow this brilliant career lawyer that's uh, a superhero by night? You know, how does he maintain that facade and actually crack the cases and get the, you know, the jobs that he's trying to do and mm-hmm. solve the mysteries he's trying to solve if he's not actually a pretty good lawyer? Like, I want to see some kick-ass lawyering here. And I have a, I have a feeling that'll be my only disappointment. But I'd like them to prove me wrong. Yeah, well, there you go. So that's uh, uh, that is the new Daredevil trailer uh, coming soon. Uh, let's see, when is that coming to Netflix? That's going to be a Netflix exclusive um, so I'm uh, looking for the date here, looking for the date. Okay. Fr- uh, Friday, April the 10th, exactly at 1201 AM Pacific time, uh, is when 13 episodes of daredevil will, uh, debut on Netflix for you to binge. So, um, that's, that's when you'll be able to catch that up next. We have for trailer bite, the new inside out trailer. So Riley, how was the first day of school? Fine, I guess. <laughs> you guys pick up on that? Sure oh, did. Well. Something's wrong. Signal the husband. <clears throat> Uh-oh. She's looking at us. What did she say? Oh, sorry, sir. No one was listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What? So that was from the trailer for Inside Out. That is trailer, the full trailer number two. Uh, if you've been disappointed by Pixar's recent infatuation with sequels and prequels, uh, and you wish they would get back to making original films, this may be the film for you. Um, it features voices from Amy Poehler, Phyllis Smith, Lewis Black, Mindy Kaling, uh, Bill Hatter, and uh, they're all voices of emotions. And so this film is obviously going to be all about emotion, which Pixar should know very well, I would I would say. Wouldn't you, Joe? They, they should probably know emotion by now. They've certainly given us plenty of emotions. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, they're so, all about the emotions and feels. Yeah, so um, I, I don't know. I, I have some trepidation about this film, but I also think that it's probably going to be great. I, I was It's sort of like how I was not looking forward to Up in the slightest, and it turned out to be one of the best, one of the best, not the best, but one of the best pixar films ever made um and you know the same same some to some extent you, you sort of learn to trust uh pixar although the last couple of films uh maybe may mostly brave has, has sort of been like eh, where's my i don't know if i can trust them anymore but you know you sort of learn to trust pixar and so by the time uh uh ratatouille comes around even though i was like really you don't know but then it was great you know so i'm hoping that this is going to be the same way hmm. okay there you go what did, did you not? Come on, Joe. You're holding out on me. Did you not I have, have thoughts? Opinion. I have an opinion. I'm sorry. I just I'm sorry. Like I talked to you you have an opinion? <laughs> you? I, you wouldn't know it around here. I'm, I'm just the quiet, introverted type. Lay it on us, Joe. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by what Pixar is doing because they're always trying to crack and, and you, know, cr- you know, break the mold is what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And I, I certainly think that they, they can accomplish it. With uh, the exploration of emotions, it's interesting because it sort of like takes a play from Monsters, Inc., but then it mashes it together with so many other notions of, you know, kids' storybooks and uh, 
storytelling. Like we're, we're completely removed from um, things like uh, like a, an outside world, a, mm-hmm. a different place, a faraway land. Yeah. We're going internal, which is not something that many people or films have ever attempted and want to do. Like, I mean, like I think a lot of directors would be like, ew, this is getting messy. And this is something that Pixar is willing to do, which yep. is really awesome. Yeah. So I wish them the best of luck. I am already sort of predisposed to like the film because I like uh, introspection. But at the same time, I don't think that this is what my uh, my emotions on the inside look like. I don't think they're sitting <laughs> no. up in the captain's chair of the Enterprise in my brain saying, <laughs> hey, turn on the TV. Let's see what's on. Joe's just like recording a podcast and you know we can tune it out. I, I'm curious. So – I, I have I have good vibes. I have good vibes. My my emotions are, are interlocking with this little girl's emotions, and it's like, yeah, yeah we're gonna have some fun together. It appears they're gonna make like real full characters out of these emotions, so that you get attached to them as characters in the film, which is a very interesting concept. How do you make a fully realized character out of a single emotion, and will that emotion then emote in other ways other than <laughs> the emotion that it is? Like that—that that is blowing my mind. Like, how do you make a film about that? Because when you connect to a character in a film or a TV show or, or a book or in any medium, you connect to their full range of emotions. You usually identify in some way with the way hmm. they interact with the world. And if you have a single emotion as a character, like how does that work? And like you even saw sadness cracking a smile on the trailer, so. Like then that seems inconsistent. So I'm I'm really skeptical mm-hmm. about this whole thing. But but again, Pixar. Mm, that's entertainment. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Okay. I, I think that they're, obviously they're cheating. It's like saying you know Iron Man can fly that suit and he doesn't crash. I mean, like there's no way that suit can fly. <laughs> but you know here here we're giving personas to a children's emotions, and I obviously that children's and, emotions aren't little like anthropomorphic and um, adults. Don't forget the adults' emotions too. Hmm. Well, what adults have emotions, TJ? Not me. I don't have any emotions. Oh, in the fiction, yeah, in the fictitious world of Pixar films, yes, adults <laughs> have emotions there. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Inside Out, um, it'll be interesting. Oh, I closed the tab. I meant to see when it was going to be. You know, I don't. I just don't keep up as much since I'm not writing every day. I can't keep all these dates in my head anymore. And okay, June the nineteenth is when this Pixar film arrives. Um, so that's mm. we'll see then what they're what they've been up to. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting. And, and I kind of hope, you know, this will be a turnaround for Pixar because the general consensus has been that Brave was bad and, and that mm-hmm. sure, um, uh, Monsters uh, University was fine, but it was a, Monster, a prequel. Monsters it, University mm-hmm. had a lot of heart and soul that I think expresses what Pixar really wants to be about. Yes. Whether or not it has the critical acclaim that, you know, adults have that grew up with Pixar. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if Disney made a Winnie the Pooh movie and all the adults raved about it because it was so brilliant. I think that Disney would be off their rocker for whatever it is they made. Like that's not supposed to happen. The movies are actually meant for kids. Right. Secondarily for their parents. So it's really amazing when they can achieve something that pulls it off where everybody's in tears together. But, uh, you know, we're not all always going to have Toy Story 3s. Like there are other stories to tell that affect us on other wavelengths. Yeah. Well, and and you're right. That has traditionally been Pixar's strength is bringing the whole family together to enjoy sometimes different aspects and sometimes same aspects of the movie. But the the movies have in large part appealed to both audiences, all spectrums of audiences. I 
you know, my kids love Toy Story 3. I love Toy Story 3. Like there is a, and I think that I love it for different reasons and, and for the same reasons. Like it appeals to me on an emotional level. I identified with the kid, you know, who's going off to college and yet he's, he's dear toys and he's got to find somebody <laughs> to take care of. Like, like I get it. So I had, and, and the kids, of course, they love Toy Story because, hey, it's toys and they have personalities. So uh, this has traditionally been a strength for Pixar and we'll have to see if they can pull it off again. And the interesting thing is, Joe, that the same character, it's going to be the same animations or the same general characters for each emotion in each person like how are we going to keep all these people straight and it's going to be weird in that way so it's very very interesting very interesting yeah, they do help by colorizing, like co- color coding the emotions. And well, yes, but <laughs> that's but pretty fun. but but anger is red for all three people that we've seen the emotions for. Oh uh, yeah, and he's the same guy. He, you know, one in one of you know with the daddy has a mustache with. Uh, with uh, the girl, he is younger looking and whatever, but but it's the same guy, right? And it's pro- voiced by the same person, so that'll that's, also be an interesting. That'll also be interesting to, to try to unravel. So and I also suspect that they'll spend the majority of the time in the girl's brain. They're not going to really be at all that much in the. Oh parents. yeah, I, I think I think obviously the girl and her emotions are primary, but we're we're going to get the others for sure. I mean, they, they mm-hmm. may be like uh, Sid and his toys, but we're going to get them. Now, if there's any sort of randomness where like the emotions get lost outside of her brain and show up in the others, and then they gotta like work together and team together to get back home, that was not really gonna work for me. I'm I'm gonna say sorry, Noah. You just ripped the plot out of the original Toy Story, so like, no, you cannot do that. <laughs> All right, so that's Inside Out, and it's coming up on June the 18th, and we're gonna be interested Sequel, to see what Pixar's been inside up to. in or outside in. <laughs> nice, yes. Well, I'm sure if it's a success, there will be a sequel. But speaking of, uh, of of weird things, and yet things that we're looking forward to and going to probably enjoy very much, we have a new trailer, a finally a real full trailer for Disney's Tomorrowland. With every second that ticks by, the future is running out. Newton. It's not mine. What's not yours? The pen. I've never. So that's from the trailer for the upcoming uh, film Tomorrowland, uh, directed by Brad Bird and co-written by Damon Lindelof, and uh, it uh, it looks like a pretty epic Disney adventure um, with some sci-fi mixed in there. <clears throat> Excuse me. I the edge of this cold just won't go away. I need a drink. I'm sorry. Mm, the edge of the cold. Yeah. So the, the title. Yeah, the head of the cold title. Uh, yeah, so um, please put that in the show outline. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, I, I it, it looks very interesting and weird. Um, it, it stars among others uh, Britt Robertson and George Clooney, and uh, I I don't quite know what to make of it, but I think I'm gonna like it because I like weird sci-fi stuff like this that that looks like it has an element of adventure. I mean, come on, I like Jupiter Ascending and. In some ways, this has that same sort of feel and appeal to me. Not, not obviously, not in all ways. I mean, Jupiter Ascending was a very different animal in a lot of ways. And this is going to be more of a Disney kids thing. But it still has that sci-fi element, futuristic, you know, weird things driving around. And, and uh, I mean, come on. It, mm-hmm. it just looks fascinating. Um, and, and George Clooney, like, is are we actually going to get to see a good performance from him this time? And not that his performance in, in – uh, and gravity wasn't good, but it was so short and understated and, and not really a, a thing. So so that'll be interesting, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. And we all know that when George really, like, reigns it in and he gives a solid performance, he he's can do more it. than just a pretty face. He can definitely do it. 
Now, I don't mm-hmm. – uh, I'm looking here. I don't recognize Britt Robertson from anything. Have you seen her in anything? No, and uh, I have a hard time knowing exactly what they're going to do with her character mm. because they establish her as the uh, – sort of like the the princess girl chick in uh, that other movie we watched, uh, Jupiter Ascending. Like, oh, we really needed you to save the universe. You're just this uh, you know, janitor person that's going to save the universe. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> um, and it, it seems like they, they're kind of pulling that card for this film, but I have a feeling that Brad Bird is going to – give us something a way better than what the Kaczynski brothers gave us. Mm. So I have no, or Wachowski brothers. Which, yeah. I was about to say, what are you talking about? Um, mm. Yeah. It looks like uh, Britt Robertson has been in a lot of TV by the way, um, but not a lot of movies. So that'll be interesting. Uh, she mm. looks fine in the, in the trailer. And I'm, I'm definitely interested in this entire concept and this whole futuristic plot thing. Um, it's definitely intriguing. And Brad Bird. I mean, like, Oh, he yeah. always him pulling the strings behind the scenes. They're always beautiful pulls. You know, he, he's he's got the magic charm. Uh, I'd watch his puppet show any day. Well, I mean, he gave us one of the best um, uh, hero movies that has ever been made in The Incredibles. <laughs> and, and I'm not joking us, uh, when I say that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're absolutely right. He also gave us Mission Impossible Four and which was not the bad. Iron Giant gave so. us Ratatouille. That was good. He has all kind of witticisms on Twitter. He's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he, he brings to us. I think it'll be good. I think we're going to like it. I think it's going to be a solid four-star film. What do you think? Hmm. Predictions? Perhaps more than four. You think? Maybe. It's possible. I, 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 I'm trying not to get overly optimistic about it. I, I'm really optimistic. I'm that-ish about the <laughs> soundtrack. I'm, I'm having great vibes from the soundtrack. I'd See, like to download the soundtrack today. You're ready. You're ready to listen to that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. On repeat. All right. Well, we're going to find out if, if your predictions are going to come true, Joe, on May the 22nd. We should write them down, put them in a time capsule or an envelope, and dig them up after we see the film and, and see if you're right. I'll bet you $10 that I will download the soundtrack. I'll make it 100000 <laughs> You can't back away from that, man. <laughs> <laughs> we need a website where people like log all of the bets on the show. We do because we'll, we won't actually remember <laughs> these bets. <laughs> Well, speaking – if you want to make any bets, I want to make some bets about this next film that we're going to talk about. Uh, well, I mean it's – you know, whatever. Uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, a, <laughs> a new trailer came out. Uh, basically, I, I think it might have actually come out the day we recorded and and I was kind of behind the times uh, last week. So we didn't talk about it. But here it is, the trailer for the Avengers Age of Ultron. I was designed. To save the world, people would look to the sky and see hope. I'll take that from them first. So that was for the trailer for the upcoming film Avengers Age of Ultron. And that was Ultron you heard speaking in that trailer voiced by James Spader. Uh, and he sounds sufficiently menacing, and certainly things are not going well for the uh, our heroic team. Yeah, he has the voice that Megatron should have had. <laughs> it is heavily implied in this uh, trailer that uh, that the Ultron is, and we kind of we already knew this, but he's the cause. He, he's been caused by Robert Downey Jr. Like he is the reason <laughs> that the Avengers have to save the world. Like so, they they're, they're both they they're going to save the world from Ultron, but they're the cause of all the destruction and likely deaths. Uh, that, uh, that, that, you know, that, that accompany, uh, the, the creation of this thing. So you have to wonder after something like this, how can Tony Stark live with himself? 
Well, I'm sure that's part of his character growth because we've continued to see him growing as a character. And like he does this thing and it probably there's arrogance involved and hey, guess what? It killed a lot of people like that probably is going to eat at him. We, we saw stuff eating at him a little bit in the previous Avengers film. Like and, and, and when we first met Tony Stark, it wouldn't have eaten at him. So mm. um, he's been on this character journey and I think that'll that'll push him a lot. And obviously the the big thing here too is that um, Joss Whedon is directing and we know that he has said – well, you know, there are ways to turn up the heat, you know, because you're, because the question was asked of him, like, how do you, after such a great film like Avengers, how do you really turn up the heat? And he's like, well, you got to really turn up the heat in a way that really kind of digs into our characters. Like, you got to turn the focus inward. And, and I really like the sound of that. So, Right. What really excites me is not just the character development. And I'm really not in it for the action, although that that's very impressive these days. So glad we're beyond the clay animation days, and yeah. the the uh, the the days of like um, Indiana Jones, Spielberg films, mm-hmm. you know, where everything was done like the guys are the Nazis are melting and their clay <laughs> right. animation faces right. are, are oozing. Uh, you know, I'm so glad we're beyond those days. So finally, special effects are so lifelike that I, that I don't even care about the special effects and what they have to offer. We're we're returning. To great storytelling, we we have a moment where we can actually tell a really good story with archetype characters, and I think they're just making a masterpiece. Like I have no doubts that Joss is making one for the ages. I, I don't know how he's doing it, but I know he's doing oh, it. Oh, sure. And I, I was just geeking out before we started the podcast that Mark Ruffalo is one of my favorite actors right now, and he's playing Bruce Banner. Uh, and they they have this great action shot of the Hulk like in rage mode. Um, and he he's just like waving a fist or something, and he's looking up. And it's for marketing posters. But the the expression on his face – is so the Hulk and so Mark Ruffalo at the same time. Yeah. It's brilliant portrayal. And that that is so clever. That is oh for the cleverness of Joss Whedon. I am so excited. I might be more excited about this movie than the Apple Watch. I don't know. I might be crazy. I hope you are. Goodness. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited. I It'll be interesting to see where they go with all this. And obviously, you know, this will probably be the last Marvel movie that Joss Whedon gives us, at least for a while. So that'll be interesting, too. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to see the team get back together. Um, We've had them each in their individual movies, and uh, it's time to bring the band back together. And I definitely want to see more Hawkeye and Black Widow. And uh, I guess we didn't see the Hulk in his own movie, so that's something I want to see in the future. But Did you see that Hawkeye is getting uh, Wolverine claws? Something like them, anyway, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, there's so much right in this trailer, like uh, going back to the voice for uh, – what's his name? The Robo Dude. Robo – Ultron. <laughs> he, he, is, he is just amazing. He nails it because you need this guy that sounds so authoritative to then also sound like he is saying something profound and, and true that is absolutely devastating. So what you have is a guy that is all about justice – Without any sense of mercy, yeah, like the guy has no has no uh, real wisdom about him. Like he's not he's not a good artificial intelligence because something is not right in his code. But then again, we, uh, I'm also getting the impression there might be some manipulation behind the scenes. Oh, where sure. An, other parties have basically taken over Ultron, and it's not all Tony Stark's fault. And that might be why he he gets over the matter when it's all said and done because he knows he's not to blame for all the people who die and suffer under Ultron. 
Maybe so. That could be the simplest explanation. Let him suffer for a while, you know, question himself, doubt himself, and and then let him and Captain America, uh, you know, arm wrestle over the problem, and then let it be known that Tony Stark wasn't responsible after all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, the film comes to theaters on May the 1st, and it can't get here soon enough, and then it'll be over too soon, and I'll be sad. But I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I think it's going to be good. And I think it's going to show us just how much we're going to miss Joss Whedon when he goes. And at the same time, we're excited to see what he does in the future. I, I want him to make more Marvel movies. I want all the things from Joss Whedon. So uh, All the great movies. All the great movies. All the great movies. Well, that's, that's it for Trailer Bite. So it is time now for us to focus in on a film that is all about focus. So uh, let us uh, let us take a quick uh, peek in the pickpocket and uh, and and uh, I'm sorry, none, none of this is quite working the way I'd intended. <laughs> I think you fall in, TJ. <laughs> so let's take a peek at this trailer real quick. So what now? Can I walk you somewhere? I'm staying here, upstairs. Oh, really? Oh my God, it's my husband. Whoa, 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 whoa. give me one reason why I shouldn't do it. I'm drawing a blank. What? He's on to us. First of all, you gotta wait till she gets my pants off. And then you gotta give me a chance to run. That's how you get the money. Never drop the con. Die with the lie. And why'd you come up here? Professional curiosity. And I like boobs. You know, I figured it was a win-win. So that was from the trailer for Focus, uh, a film that is now out in theaters starring uh, Will Smith, Margot Robbie, Adrian Martinez, uh, Ger- Gerald McRaney, Rodrigo Santoro and BD Wong. Uh, it was released on February the 27th. It had a budget of 50.1 million. Opening weekend, it brought in 18.6 million, and the worldwide gross is 72.4 million. Critics' consensus is that uh, Focus may have a few too many twists and turns, but it nearly skates by on its glamorous setting and the charm of its stars. Directors Glenn Fichara and John Requa, written by the same people, and the composer was Nick Urata, which I found the score to be pretty generic and uninteresting. Uh, good thing the movie around it was fairly interesting. Uh, mm. So, Joe, why don't you tell us about the storyline? Yes, here it is. Storyline. Nicky Spurgeon is an extremely accomplished con man who takes an amateur con artist, Jess, under his wing. Nicky and Jess become romantically involved, of course, and with Nicky's profession of being a liar and a cheat for a living – He realizes that deception and love are things that don't really go together. They split only to see each other again in three years and things get messy. Yeah, that's, that's pretty right on the money. If a little short, Um, I mean, it sums it up. It's very overlooking sort of storyline. You know, we don't want to give any details away. Yeah. Don't want to show the hand of the con artists. (laughs) Yes. You play your cards close to the vest, Joe, and you might just pick somebody's Apple watch off their wrist. That's right. Um, I, I had a lot of fun with this film and I feel bad about that. As I mentioned, I probably would last week at the end of the show. Um, it just, I I don't know how I'm supposed to exactly feel or whether I'm even supposed to be Mm. watching a movie about such moral ambiguousness. Well, TJ, I'd be glad to tell you how to feel if you want. Please do. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, um, do you have any chocolate? Uh, I, I'm sure there's chocolate in the house because my wife oh, okay. likes chocolate. Okay. Well, as a good substitute, you got Will Smith and that's pretty awesome. And then you have the, I actress, don't even know what just happened. Margot Robbie who plays Jess and those two together. It, it's the greatest Neapolitan combination ever on the screen. Like I, I was, I was really impressed by the chemistry, the witticisms, the complexity, like I, I don't, believe con artists and their lives are this interesting 
So you have to fictionalize it and turn it into an adult bedtime story. Sure. And Will Smith nails it because he's so interesting as a person when he reigns in a really good delivery. Mm-hmm. And something transformed about his acting in this movie because I, as I was watching Will Smith, I was like, there's something familiar about his mannerisms and how he's playing this part. And it brought to mind one of my cousins who I think is one of the most awesome people in the world and I love his personality and I like how he expresses himself. And I was like, whoa, my Will Smith is channeling my cousin. How did that happen? I'd never seen that before. So I know he's a good actor. And then you have Margot Robbie, who just, I mean, like, didn't she do the voice of Lucy in a Lego movie? Uh, I'm not positive about that, but I think so. Margot Robbie. I don't remember that. The only, I thought that her major debut was, of course, The Wolf of Wall Street. Sure. Um, you know, uh, and yeah, and, and obvious, for obvious reasons, you would remember her from <laughs> that movie. Um, you know, the, yeah, so the, I think that she actually is a pretty decent actress because she plays all the right cards in this film i'm not seeing she, the lego movie on her list of credits uh, really the wolf of wall street is her big, just like lucy it's her big break wolf of wall street hmm. but, okay uh, yeah uh, oh i know who i'm thinking about the, the 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 voice actress that did lucy was um that guy's husband uh, wife in um 30 rock Anyway, well, the voice we'll of Lucy is notes. Elizabeth Elizabeth Banks. I don't know if that's thank you. Okay, okay, she was her. Yeah, she was in Thirty Rock. Okay, yeah. So back to Margot Robbie. She's a good actress. Like when she started to cry um, at a particular poignant moment, she really turns on the waterworks. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen a performance quite come in so uh, wet and teary eyed like that since Frodo freaked out when he was on the river in the Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring. And it was very deeply moving. Like you were convinced that – see, here's what's fun about con artist stories is that the er- the characters are all trying to hide so many different things from different people at different times. Oh, yeah. They're trying to place bets that they may not really be able to sell. And you never know when something is or isn't a bet because at any given moment, they might be trying to cheat each other out of a huge elaborate scheme. We know this because we've watched Matchstick Man and uh, Ocean's Eleven, and be, and because of that, you know, you never know what to believe as a member of the audience. So it's really fun to try and figure out what is predictable about these movies. Yeah, and that's probably where I had the most fun with this movie is really just trying to untangle the whole thing. And you know, there was it, it kept me guessing even when I thought, oh, well, he obviously is working this angle over here. Oh, well, no, maybe he's not. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. And sometimes it would bring you back around where you thought the angle he was working was this one, but then he maybe he's not working an angle at all, or maybe it's this angle, and then you come back around and you're like, no, it was that original angle, or maybe it wasn't. You know, it, it kept you guessing. I I found the surprise of this movie surprisingly surprising, um, <laughs> if I can say that. So, um, it, the surprises it, were very surprising, TJ. Whoa, that just went over my head. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was very interesting in that way. And, and I think that, uh, Will Smith really pulled off this role in, in a really good way. You know, I read something earlier just before the podcast where Will Smith basically said he felt like he'd been sufficiently chastised after his, uh, failure with After Earth to really, the one of his first movies to ever open, mm. you know, in the recent years that did not make number one. And, uh, this movie did, surprisingly, actually. Although the time of year may have played into that, mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know, he said he felt like he he had some other movies that he needed to do that would would kind of bring back you know the Will Smith that people know and love. So <laughs> maybe this is that first step towards it. Although this was an interesting like like Will Smith always plays Will Smith and that's who he plays always. 
but there was an interesting difference in his character this time. Like I felt like there was a a sincerity. And we're talking about Conman here, but there was a <laughs> a much more gravitas to the Will Smith character than what we're used to seeing. I I thought, and I thought sure. it was well played. And, and you know, it's funny that you describe it like that gravitas because that's something that I I have identified with many other con artistry sort of crime stories with these people who live uh, on the high end and they they're trying to act very human at the same time. Like they, they they should look like they're Greek statues because they're extremely well dressed and <laughs> they're parading around in the big city and they have their their you know baseball sized diamonds on their rings. So it's very easy to assume oh these people they're just like cardboard cutouts from the Victoria's Secret catalog and the Joseph A Banks catalog. But really, there's a lot more complexity to their to their characters and they humanize them in a way that you would not expect to find from a Joseph A. Bank ad. Right. And that's really good. And that's that's part of the intriguing aspect of this entire genre is when, you know, um, there's sort of this wavelength in a good Bond movie. Bond is supposed to be incredibly uh, deep in a way. His emotions, his soul searching is going on. Daniel Craig is trying to rein in this idea that we care about his childhood in a unique way. For a character that's not supposed to care about his childhood because he's supposed to be <laughs> superficial about right. Amiga watches and Aston Martins. And the same thing Definitely is going the on Aston in this Martins. film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was also impressed just by the direction and storytelling. Like you, you have this great amalgamation of the screenplay and the leadership by the director. You could tell that they were speaking in unison. They both understood the heart of the story. And they, they probably – I don't know how much of it was storyboarded. But it felt it felt like it was well played, every moment well played. Like they were diverting your attention just the way that the movie describes. Like I think the only thing bad really with um the gist of what the filmmakers put into this film, what they intentionally put into this film, was the name. <laughs> like the movie's name doesn't quite work for me. Focus? No, I think it works perfectly. But I mean, but that aside, like you're talking about the writing mm. and, and the, the, you know, how tight. I, and I noticed too, like the, the writing and the script felt so tight and everything worked to fit together so well. And I've noticed particularly when I feel that way, often I'll go and look and sure enough, the same person or persons who directed it also wrote it. And so you don't have this translation from writing to directing that often happens when when the same team does both because you know you when you wrote it you know you knew what the intention was for it and then so you shoot it that way i feel like there's more cohesiveness and 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 more uh weight and 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 things behind it that way and i feel like that really benefited this movie like you could tell everything was so tight it just worked so well everything was just there was nothing in this movie that was wasted in terms of plot Everything, like even stuff that you thought at the time, without realizing it maybe, you would have thought, oh, that's just a moment, you know, or whatever. And it comes back around. Everything ties in. And and it is such a good multifaceted plot that way. And there were, you know, there were things where – this is the sign of a good movie to me where it would make you think you had all the pieces to the puzzle and you knew how to put it together. But then it would introduce new pieces that you had no idea where they would go. And yet they also fit in there and you thought you had all the pieces before, but now you're like, how did you think that you knew what was going on? Now you can see clearly. It was really fascinating that way. It's been a long time since I've seen a movie really put together in just that way. It was fantastic. So, so what you're trying to say, TJ, is that it was like a Christopher Nolan film, only it was fun. Yes, maybe so. Maybe that's what I'm saying. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. And I don't know even still, although I felt like there was even some homages paid to, say, a, a good Martin Scorsese um, 
uh, kind of a uh, montage here and there. <laughs> like I'm thinking about that scene where they're really kind of showing the uh, the, the con men, uh, a con artist doing their work in the in the uh, at the toward the beginning of the film. You know when they're lifting stuff off of people left and right. And there's this <laughs> montage scene where Margot Robbie, you know, is basically the centerpiece of that. But she's she's with the team doing all that. And I, I felt like that was great homage to some of the montage scenes that we've gotten in some of the the great Martin Scorsese movies. So so it had that mm. aspect as well. It was definitely a fun film, and I think that in times it was pleasantly surprising how well it was put together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. Do you want to go into some of the spoilers, or well, do you want to go let, into let some me, dislikes? Yeah, so let me finish up with anything that I have left. I, and this is the thing about this film, as much as I liked it, like I can't call out a lot of specifics other than what I've already talked about, but I do have a couple um, I, I kind of alluded to this. I, I had a hard time telling where the lies started and ended, and, and it kept me guessing the entire time. <laughs> and that was fun. Uh, as much as morally ambiguous as it was, it was also fun um, to, to try to, to guess in what way are they conning this person. I, again, I'm not condoning this lifestyle at all. Please understand me. Um, see, I mentioned, You're really a con artist. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mentioned the screenplay was tight. Um, I, I, I did, like you, Joe, I liked the multicolored casting. Not not just Not just... Uh, Will Smith, person of color, and Margot Robbie, you know, cream white. But you've also you've got uh, that great part by that. Uh, oh boy, that uh, <laughs> um, Asian dude. Um, <laughs> I thought he was Japanese. Yeah, I was thinking Japanese, but I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, B. D. Wong. I'm looking. Uh, he was born in it's San really Francisco, California. Without laughing. Yeah. So anyway, he is such a great performance there from him, and and just you know the Mexican guy that was uh, very uh, large. Um, so I, I enjoyed, even though he was, he could be pretty crass. That was, that was, uh, that was pretty interesting, but wow. We sound really racist now. Really? <laughs> like unintentionally. So I, guys my intention was love multiculturalism. My, my intention was to be the opposite of, of, uh, of yeah, well, well, I know you well enough to know that you were saying this with all due sincerity. Absolutely. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Like, yeah, I, I can totally enjoy the multiculturalism and it, it's there. It's fantastic. Great amalgamation. Like it, it felt completely consistent with the entertainment value that they were trying to rein in in this movie. And the, it, it worked people like you, you, you didn't see necessarily all fresh faces because you have Gerald was his name, Gerald McRaney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have Adrian Martinez and Margot Robbie and Will Smith. We've seen all these faces a lot, but they, they, the supporting roles and just the combination of them all it was it was really you know, just fun and uh, a lot of variety. Yeah, and and in the t- in the tone of trying not to be racist, I mean, but we're still in a place in our society where we recognize the differences between these things, even if maybe we shouldn't yeah, even they, notice our it all. Differences but, do exist. But my point is, uh, uh, you can argue and quibble with the morals of two people who aren't married having this affair, but I like the fact in this way that. Um, you know, he was, he's black and, and she's white and it was never even a thing. Like they didn't even mention it. They were just, they had a romance and that was just the way it was. And I, I enjoyed that aspect of, of it, the multiculturalism of that. Um, and then I was really impressed with Margot Robbie's performance. I, this is the first performance I've seen her in. And I wasn't sure that I was, whether she was a good actress or not, because her big claim to fame is the Wolf of Wall Street, and I assume that she probably just had that claim to fame for being beautiful and naked on the screen. Um, but uh, she can really, she can really act. I mean, she, you know, this movie wouldn't be what it is without Will Smith, no doubt. But this movie also would not have worked at all without Margot Robbie. Mm. Um, so, uh, and then the, the very last thing that, like, that gambling scene um, was fantastic. 
Like they put it together in such a way that you wondered the entire time until the until she spot spoiler alert spoiler major spoiler alert until she spot, spotted um uh Farhad you wondered the entire time if this if he was blowing all the money if like is this a different movie than I thought it was does he have a gambling problem and you wondered the entire time and then you realize it's another con but you weren't sure like even though this is a con movie you weren't sure it was wonderful. They put a significant amount of doubt in your mind because you knew the guy was prone to gambling, addictive gambling. And well, well, at least bets at least not. we were told that. Yeah, but that was good because yes. yeah, well, you got a good point there because his partner was possibly working with him to mislead Jess. Yes, and oh, they that, would yeah. mislead her to believe that he had a betting problem. Yes. Yes, it was, and and you look back, and it was one of those things where sometimes when you when some stuff like this happens, you can't quite connect all the dots. <laughs> but with this, you could totally, as soon as the thing turned and you saw the guy in the field th- that she spotted in the binoculars, and you're like, your mind immediately put all the dots together. You go, oh, ever since this point in the film, they've been deceiving her about this and th- prepped her and primed her for right, this. Right, because I was thinking for a while there that she might be in on the con, and they had just left the audience out. But right. And when you find out Jess is actually not in on the con, that made it all the more interesting. Right, right. And they do leave you out of, out of some of the cons here and there, and especially the big one later in the film. You don't find out about the big con until the very end of the film. <laughs> And, and of course, as you would expect, but somewhat unexpectedly, even so. So a lot to like about this film in terms of that. Um, so it, it, it does bring to mind something I want to say in passing about the original, well, not the original Ocean's Eleven, but the one with, uh, Clooney and, uh, what's his name? Brad, Brad Lee, Brad, not Bradley Cooper. Dang. Pitt. Thank you. Ah, uh, Brad Pitt. Ah, uh, yes. Um, that in their Ocean's Eleven movie, uh, they're they, – well, let me back up a second. In any good con films, you need one particular character that is outside of the con like the audience is about most things. So when so when there's that great big reveal, a character and the audience are experiencing it sincerely together. Uh-huh. And if you don't have that moment, that marriage of the audience and that one particular character, then you feel excluded from the experience dramatically. And it, you, so it's this film. You're you're identifying a great deal of the time with Jess. Yes. But what's interesting is Will Smith, though you don't know what he's really up to most of the time, you are convinced by his con pretty well, mm-hmm. and you want to believe him. You want to trust him. You want to believe when he has been seemingly conned that you can identify with his, his pain and frustration until you find out, no, he's really been working the bigger con. So that was impressive. Yeah. And that kind of thing happened in oceans 11, where interestingly, the guy you got to relate to who was not in on the con was actually the bad guy. And so the audience got to identify (laughs) with the experience along with the bad guy who was left outside of the con. Mm. It was like, "Uh uh-huh. I'm impressed. (laughs) So, all right. You want to talk about our dislikes at all? Yeah, specific ones or just sort of um, sort of the abstract, hard to nail down ones. Yes, I have a hard time nailing down exactly what doesn't make this movie a fantastic movie. But it was very high on the entertainment value, kind of low on the substance, really, because it's kind of like you know, I am sure there are current artists that are this much in love, but in reality, this is not the kind of love I can really appreciate. Like this is a this is a misguided, confused, 
series of uh, romantic entanglements all based on lies and you don't really know each other all that well. Yeah, I, I actually it's all had such a great big show. Yes. Yeah, I had that complaint, too. That was one of the first things I wrote down in my dislikes. And there, there's not very many, but that like the low on substance. And then I, I just didn't buy any of the love story, even though ultimately that's what the movie hinges on. And it didn't ruin the movie. I didn't buy that. that like they should have somehow put more into the love story than just the infatuation and sleeping together for the first, you know, third of the film. And, and then, and, and, but it's all based on lies and con artistry. And, and then, and then, you know, they don't see each other for three years and then we're to believe that he sees her and he's completely gobsmacked. I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> when they revealed the father, I, there was some things about that that were well played and some things that were not as interesting as I hoped in retrospect. Oh, I love that. I, I thought that they they really pulled a good number there. But then I'm thinking about it in retrospect and I'm just kind of like, eh, it's not as good as it could have been. I don't know what's missing. Like it almost reminded me of the greatness of the relationship between Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones and his father, Dr. Jones by Sean Carnery. Yeah. But it I think, wasn't that good. Yeah. Maybe what you're missing is um, a little bit of interplay and, and interaction between father and son that you just didn't get because they waited to reveal it until the very, very end of the film. And maybe yeah. that's what you're missing. Like yeah. maybe if the reveal had come a little sooner and you could have had more because the moments between them were good once they revealed it, even though, you know, uh, even though Nikki is basically dying if they don't get into the hospital. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I enjoyed the reveal of it, though, and, and I enjoyed the complete like everything falls into place. Again, it's one of those things where every all the pieces fall into place when you find out that bit of information, like why he was you know, it, it all still worked. Even he came to, he came to Nikki's apartment looking and smelling out the trouble that he was looking for, not for the reasons that you thought, but it still worked. Like he didn't want him to blow the con over some stupid love game thing, you know? <laughs> so I, uh, I, I enjoyed that yeah. about it, but, but I, I, I will completely and totally capitulate to the fact that, uh, the, the love story in, in essence really doesn't work. You, you, you buy it for the sake of the, of the film, but it's really, it, it, he loves, uh, Margot Robbie's character, Jess, because the script tells him to. And there's also, um, the, the moral ambiguity question yep. mark over the entire thing. Like, you know, going back to the idea that this is a, the adult bedtime story. Mm -hmm. This is not one you would read to your children. Nope. Even if you had the PG rated version, uh, the in-flight version, because it's kind of filled up with it, moral ambiguity, which means, hey, okay, I'm sorry. Like if you wanted to make a whole movie about Emperor Palpatine's childhood and why he turned dark <laughs> and you wanted us to sympathize George with him, Lucas would totally do that. He would do that, but I'm And he'd cast Jake it. Lloyd <laughs> as <laughs> but, Emperor. But the, but the problem with that is that like if you – oh, dude, I just clicked what you said. Oh, that is so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so trying to block that mental image out. Um, if you do certain things, I don't care how much we are supposed to empathize with the characters. If they're bad guys, I mean, what are we doing here? You're playing with our emotions, our mindset, and our worldview. So really, this was a bedtime story for criminals like <laughs> nice. this is the, here to make them feel good like here's the movie for everyone we got the movie for you know people with um breathing masks like bane and then you got this kind of criminal oh see what this is oh con artists good for all those con artists out there this is the one for you you know i, I felt like that's just a bit 
uh, catering to a niche I don't yeah. think well, we should be catering to. Well, anytime a movie makes me root for what should essentially be the bad guys, you got to question whether you should really be. And I certainly do anyway. And 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 I, I think maybe but the same thing is happening in, in television and video games. And it seems to be that everybody loves it. Like, you know, it used to be we would root, root, root for the, the good guys, the uh, – what was his name? The Lone Ranger. Mm. But now nowadays, if um, you don't have a very compelling villain, you practically don't have a movie. But I think, Joe, that there is a happy medium there that that, that is missed. Like like people either like their – you know, you've got the super syrupy, happy, super duper Christian type you know people who want who want all their their the people that they root for and their good guys to always be you know milky white and never do anything wrong and and there's no character flaws, there's no way to grow like it just is. It's, it's this cardboard cutout thing. And then you've got the, the movies like this where the villains are the good guys and and they're you know the morals don't matter they're just the ha- they're just the guys that we're telling the story about and you better root for them because that's what our story's about. And and I feel like there's a middle ground there that, that that yes good good films do hit. I'm not saying that we don't get good films that hit this middle ground. But not not nearly often enough. Like I want my characters to be on a journey. I want them to have character flaws like me. I want them to be human, but I want them to grow past them. I want to watch them on this journey and I want to root for them because they are trying to do the right thing as best they know how. And this film utterly fails in that because it's mm. about the criminals. It is a film about criminals and what they're mm. doing and where to root for them. And a lot of movies are like this, uh, more of them now than there were in yesteryear in the golden age of filmmaking. Uh, you know, There's a good number of Scorsese films where it's about the many shades of gray, not quite 50 <laughs> nice. of them in all, but a number of them. <laughs> And in this one, it seemed to be like everybody was the exact same shade of gray. So yes, uh, at the end sure. of the day, uh, the only reason you're rooting for the main characters is because we've been led to sympathize with them and not led to sympathize with their antagonists. Yeah, it's a sort of thing works. where you feel like just you could have sympathized with any of the characters. It's just these are the ones that you spent the most time with and these are the ones that the filmmakers emotionally t- attached you to. And I, I certainly felt manipulated in that way as I expected to. And probably one of the big reasons this sort of thing happens is because a lot of people don't aren't convinced that everyday life uh, it has enough drama and uh, material to make a good story out of. Mm. You know, a lot of people uh, just think that uh, good guys are boring, and it would be very like imagine a reversal. What if you had a movie that was all about a cast of good guys, <laughs> and like that kind of thing usually doesn't fly. You need to have the bad guys around to produce conflict and then you give the good guys an excuse to show off their heroism and their moral virtue. Here we have a film works just because all you have is bad guys. Right. Isn't that interesting? Yep. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's you know, but it but it, but but it see, works again. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't find that it really works. I, I, I maybe a little bit better than when everybody's the cardboard cutout that is, is uh, milky white clean. It and, always works if you're not taking it too seriously, right? But if you were one of these con artists' victims, like you know, here they're picking the pockets of everyday people off of the street, and they're assuming, well, we, you know, these are just the the wealthy top one percent, and they can totally afford to be robbed. And they're probably bad people too, so we're excused. We're just Robin Hood's robbing the rich to feed uh, the us. <laughs> but no, in reality, you're just really kind of distorting reality. Like you have no business robbing people. <laughs> if if this uh, – the moral virtues of the film 
uh, reflect any particular society, I would not want to live or be there or visit there. Thank you. No, I agree. I really only have one more uh, dislike, and and that is that despite the fact that I enjoyed being um, uh, surprised at, at every turn, I felt like the plot may have had maybe just one too many twists. Slightly too many is what I wrote, but maybe it was just one. I don't know. I don't know how to put a finger on it, but just I felt a little bit jerked around, just a little bit, just slightly. Mm. (laughs) Interesting. I I, I kind of loved it um, for that reason. Um, Not enough films have enough interesting twists. So at least all the twists, if there were any unnecessary ones, at least they were interesting. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's not a huge complaint. It's just that little thing that I, I just wrote down. So uh, they have a sort of a love hate relationship to the uh, the Rodrigo Santoro Garriga guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, at times, I really love the character, but then he has such a foul mouth. It's oh like, yes, oh, I mentioned that really earlier. Yeah, to share this with friends because of that particular guy's foul mouth. It's like oh, oh yeah, God, we're not just talking about a little bit, to, not a little bit foul. Yeah, like you know, and the thing is, is it's all played up to be real comedy, and it's like okay, dang, what are we watching here? This well, isn't American Pie. I mean, aside from a couple of f words, um, like he is the sole reason why this film got rated R. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose there is that a uh, couple of scenes that that border certainly on that. Uh, Speaking put us of over the, the content, though, uh, in terms of just the stuff that gives you a rating. I have to admit I'm not usually one for violence on screen and it seems like a lot of blood and guts is spilt in a very uh, callous, uh, cynical, haphazard, uh, extraneous, sensational way in filmmaking. Uh But then there was this one moment uh, in the film where Will Smith gets shot and – Spoiler alert. uh, I did – I hadn't said – well, Dean the Bell or something. Ding, ding, Um, ding. Well, okay, so it's a fine. person who might be black and tall and handsome as a man, he gets uh, shot, and when that happens, uh, the way in which he was bleeding to death was very impressive, if that's possible. Like, I I looked at that, and I thought, <clears throat> wow, I'm, I've never quite seen a uh, person bleeding to death so realistically before in a film, and... Uh, I, I I don't know what to say. Like I'm not one for graphic violence for entertainment value, but at the same time, I was like, I have never seen that in a movie before. Quite done like that. Oh yeah, it, it it was definitely pretty real. Like like in in and in more ways than one. Like you believed that he had a hole in his chest and that blood was pouring out, but you also it's it's the way I imagine real life death scenes would go. It's not like you know in most movies you know even though it's a movie I love, you think of the Matrix where. Uh, you know, Trinity is dying and she's saying her last words and, and whatever. Uh, and, and, and life is not like that. Uh, and, and this is more like, you know, well, he couldn't talk. He couldn't get anything out. He'd been shot and he was like gurgling and, and that one, and, and he hadn't, he had no last words to say. And, and you're like, yes, this is probably the way it really is in real life. If, if you know, God forbid, if you, somebody were to get shot or something like that bad were to happen, you probably wouldn't have an, an ending monologue. <laughs> <laughs> and so in, in more ways than one, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, just uh, mesmerized by that bullet hole. Yep. So you want to wrap this up? Final words? I do. Would, would you tell us uh, what you thought about this film in your star rating and your final thoughts? So if I were logged in on imdb.com tonight, I would scrub over those stars and I'd think to myself, where do I want to plunk my rating? Where do I want to click? Ultimately, it's kind of hard. 
because there's some part of me that feels like, man, this is, this is just brilliant storytelling. And other parts of me like, man, this is just, this is just really great filmmaking. And then there's other parts of me that's like, but you know, you're kind of like missing genuine heart and soul. Doesn't that count for something? And then yeah, at times the, the dialogue wasn't as smart as it might've been. And then when it came to the climax, though it was well played and everything, I didn't quite appreciate the climax as I did uh, the majority of the more fascinating moments of the film. So when it's all said and done, it doesn't add anything to con artistry films, though it's very entertaining. And if you're not familiar with other ones, then this one will be all the more interesting to you. But if you're familiar with con artistry films, then really there's nothing new brought to the table. It's like, aha, I saw that coming because that kind of thing was done in Matchstick Man. And, oh, there we go. Yep, uh uh-huh. And that kind of experience happens all along the way. It's kind of weird because it's not like it's predictable, but once it happens, you're like, oh, yeah, I saw that a mile away after it happened. Mm. And so for that kind of reason, I just feel like it's a brilliant magic show. And how do you give a good star rating to a magic show when you know you have been uh, misled looking and focusing, focusing on the wrong things throughout the entire film. Focus, Joe, focus. So repeated viewings, probably not going to be as good as the first viewing. And for that kind of reason, uh, maybe get two or three good viewings out of it in the next five years. I'm not sure if I'd watch it beyond that. And for those kinds of reasons, I give it three and a half stars. All right. Well, I've been teetering on the brink between uh, three and a half or four stars. I'm just going to put that out there. I um, think, I think, I think, I think I want to go with four stars, leaning more towards 3.75. Are you um, Winnie the Pooh? What? Oh, the reference. I think, I think, I think. What? what? Think, think, think. Oh, never mind. Okay. Sorry, this just went very meta. Sorry, never mind. Okay. Continue. Yes. Sorry yes, for I'm me going, bringing up a movie reference. I'm going to continue. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of more in the three seventy five, three point seventy five, but I'm gonna give it four, kind of, sort of, because I did enjoy it and it, it kept my attention the entire time because I feel like the writing was pretty top notch in terms of, of putting things together and fitting the building blocks together, even if I felt like they could have given us more substance and if I didn't quite buy the love story. Ultimately, I think that the movie overcomes it, and I enjoyed myself despite that and despite the misgivings I had about rooting for the bad guys. Um, and, and for that reason, it makes it hard to recommend. Like, I went into it knowing that, and I come out of it knowing that, and it makes it hard to recommend. So I kind of teeter on the edge of, of these things. But four, four stars out of five is kind of where I land, and, and, and the filmmaking quality is fantastic. No doubt about that. And still a better love story than Twilight. If you say so. All right, IMDb users rate the film 7.0 out of 10. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the critics are not quite as kind. They're giving it 56% approval rating, and the audience on Rotten Tomatoes gets a a 62% approval rating. Next week, we're going to be reviewing Cinderella. Believe it or not, this is one that you that Joe has been requesting. I don't know what what the deal is with you, Joe, but we're we're gonna we're gonna appease your your need to see a a, a Disney a uh, real life version of a Disney fied movie. Uh, we're we're gonna do that for you, Joe. Yeah, thanks for throwing me under the bus. I will always throw you under the bus. You can always count on me to do it. So stay tuned. Next time, Joe will reveal why he wanted to see Cinderella. Yes. Uh, I mean, you're probably, it's probably because of, uh, Lily James or something. You're, you're a fan. Who? (laughs) She's the, she's the uh, primary actress in the film. 
Oh, if you had said Haley Atwell, I'd been like, yeah. No, yeah. No. Did you watch? Speaking of Haley Atwell, did you watch Agent Carter? Oh no, is that a thing? Oh my goodness, fantastic TV show on Netflix. What? Yeah, or I mean on on Hulu is where I, I, I it's it was on ABC, and so you probably can't get all the episodes now. I, I can't uh, believe you want to wear this. I've been following her on Twitter and she's been sharing agent Carter stuff, but I didn't realize that that was like for real. Yeah, she was like live <laughs> tweeting as episodes would air. Where have you been? Like you, do you really follow her? Or are you just saying that? I, uh, no comment. Great. It was a great TV show. Okay. Uh, so next week we're going to talk about Cinderella in the meantime, Joe, where can people, you've been, you've been prolifically podcasting. You've been writing. I think I see stuff from Joe Darnell. Look, I can't keep up with mm. you anymore, man. I'm, mm. I'm working a little slaving away and I see something come across my Twitter and it's like, uh, I could go read that and I wish I had time. And then it's just long gone because you're just so prolific. Mm. So, so tell mm. the, fo- tell the good folks that are better, better people than me where they can find all this stuff. Yes. So if you want to find the podcast trilogy of Joe Darnell the, today, uh, that is Wednesday, the 10th of March. 11th. Date, 11th. Okay, thank you. Uh, Which the, the, today is Joe the 10th of recording. That's right. And no inception. Uh, uh, visit joedarnell.com where you can find the trilogy and the extended edition there. <laughs> and then if you uh, want to find me on Twitter, I'm a J- uh, underscore Joe Darnell. And uh, I'd be glad to talk about movies there with you. And if you're interested in my other podcast, I talk about coffee with Eric Rauch or the website we write about coffee, visit topbrew.fm and uh, check it out on Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, iTunes. I'd love to know what you think about the webs, uh, the show on iTunes. So, uh, yeah. And you know what? Uh, speaking of which, TJ, shouldn't people be like rating and reviewing this film? I mean, for this show, the this, show that this you talk about, the show, yeah, they absolutely yeah, we're, should. We're on iTunes, right? That's how people are actually listening to, to this thing, right? Well, I'm sure, yeah. We're we're in all the podcast directories because we're on iTunes. Uh, we're in all the great podcast, all the great directories. podcast directories, and you can rate us in iTunes. That is uh, the best place to do it. If you use Overcast, there's a little recommend button. When you scroll up on the artwork, you can press recommend. That helps. Anything you can do like that is helpful. Uh, five stars. We accept no less. Uh, if you have less than five stars, please go away. We don't want you. But if you are a five-star listener and raider, we love you. Thank you so much for being a part of the Movie Bite podcast. You're so abusive, teacher. <laughs> no. So, no, we love all of you. I'm kidding. We love all of you. All of our listeners. We give all, all the good five stars. All the good listeners. You're the most beautiful five-star rated audience ever. Yes. If you want to follow me on Twitter and take some more of the abuse, I mean, see my insightful comments on things, you can follow me on Twitter at TJDraperPro. Uh, and uh, that's that's actually pretty much it for right now. Um, I don't have anything to announce, and I'm not really writing on MovieBite.com anymore, so that's where you can follow me. Mm-hmm. Tune in next week for Cinderella, and until then, we're out of here. Have a great movie-watching experience this weekend. See you, Joe. See you. Ta-ta.